Okay, let's hear it. Defenders of the universe, it's Darren Maskell and a guest. Defenders of the universe, who knows what they're going to defend next. It's like 12 seconds. Let's see what happens. Well, that's the... I mean, obviously, I've defend, been defending no effects all my adult life, so that should be all right. Okay, yeah, so let's start with that one. Um, you'd like to defend the pop band... Pop punk pop band. band? Pop punk. Pop punk <laughs> band. No FX. No um, FX. No yeah. FX. That is N-O-F-X. Yeah, that's it. Simple. No FX. No FX. Yeah. Nofux. I went once went on holiday to um, Lesbos with my family, um, uh, and another and my one of my best mates Alex. His he came. No, his mum and dad were there as well. It was a big holiday. Anyway, we met these girls from uh, Switzerland or Sweden or something, and we were talking to them. We're uh, fourteen or this is just a random memory that I've just remembered yeah. from saying. Nofks. We we were yeah maybe thirteen fourteen. It's a prime time to be listening to pop punk in the you know late nineties early two thousands. We met these Swedish girls and bonded over music and and we were like yeah yeah we like Green Day Blink One Eighty Two Offspring and they went yeah 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 Nofks. We were like who? Yeah we like the band Nofks. What? And then and then it was back in the days of mini discs and we were looking through our mini discs and she went yeah yeah nofs and she pointed at no effects and i was like oh no effects anyway oh. then i gave i gave her my mini disc because she didn't have whatever album it was beautiful story yeah isn't it just, and just i'm the only one in that story who still listens to no effects 100 <laughs> what about you don't think the swedish slash swiss girls listen to it no, because she'll be the same age as me. She'll be mid thirties now. She yeah. doesn't listen to them. No, I'm the only one keeping it real. So, why do you think no effects are um, seen in a bad light? What's been your experience of that? Um, I think, I think people uh, think they make bad music. Whereas I think they make good music, and I think they probably think Fat Mike is a um, a bit of a prick. Whereas I think he is a bit of a prick that makes really good music. And not only that, I think No Effects uh, are flying the flag for um, punk rock because I think I think a lot of people still in this day would uh, like get into. No, uh, get into Blink One Eighty Two or Green Day or I don't know who who the punk bands are at the moment. Uh, five Seconds of Summer or um, uh, there's another one, isn't there? Begins with an M. I can't remember their name. But they're, they're really, really bad bands, and then they get in to like Green Day, Blink One Eighty Two, and then start looking through the history of punk rock and stuff. And I know there's a UK side, but there's a big US side of it. And they'll start investigating it, and then they stumble across Epitaph and Fat Fat Records, and then through that they discover no effects. It's usually the next band, usually goes Blink One Eighty Two, Green Day, Offspring, no effects. And then when you get down to the no effects level, it's kind of a gateway 
into a huge punk subculture that no effects is still flying the flag for and Fat Mike through having the record label Fat Records is still releasing punk music to this day that's probably still quite unfashionable but um and I just think it's it's like a it's a great success story because he's like in his mid-50s and he's just absolutely lived the dream and he's done it all on his own terms you know it's 100% independent they're one of the most successful independent um bands there are and that's probably why they can release the music they do because he owns his record label and he's moved on to from Epitaph to Fat Rex so he goes well, I'm, I'm going to release this album whereas if he took it somewhere else they'd probably go what are you talking about I'm not putting that out but he can just go yeah I'm going to put this out make some money it's a I think a lot it's well, a lot of comedians which they could do isn't it I mean a lot of comedians like no effects like Ben Target Ben Target Target. He likes no effects. Yeah. I think I, I took a t-shirt, took my jumper off once at the Camden head in Camden, and Chris Betts went, "Oh, that's a nice t-shirt." I was wearing a fat wreck t-shirt. Um, I just love them. Honestly, I love them. And I've recently discovered a, a group on Facebook called the No Effects Vinyl Collectors Only Group. It's a, and it's like, and then also a group called. No Effects Appreciation Society that has 15,000 members. So I'm not alone. Okay. Not alone. I should... I'd like to point you in the direction because... Yeah. Um, I... My um, experience of No Effects is that they're quite perceived as quite juvenile, crass, kind of... Um, what the Americans would call jock humour. Uh, would you find that uh, an, um, a fair assumption? I guess so, but then that's not just no effects. That's like the whole punk, like pop punk thing, isn't it? I, I, I wouldn't jock humour, I guess, but it's more I, I, juvenile and like immature and um, yeah, like stupid. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. But um I also think that uh, when their albums were released, you know, they were early 20s. So their heyday, they're probably mid-20s touring the world in a really pop, popular punk band. They're going to be dickheads. But actually, as they've got older, especially their last few albums, Fat Mike addresses, I don't know who he addresses, but he, he talks about his drug use and not necessarily in a positive way. Uh, they have got more political. And he talks about uh, his tran transvest transvestitism. I don't know how you cross-dressing. So they have they have got older and what well, not necessarily wiser, but they're not as well, I, know, I guess they are still. The other members of the band seem a bit more level-headed. I guess that might still be a bit of a dip. I'd I'd like to um address the lyrics to drugs are good here um, okay that's a that's a that's a that's um a, a track from the punk in Drublet sessions that didn't make the album and was okay. released or releases the b-side uh, or maybe the a-side of the ho effects okay um yeah it's one two fuck off drop out never trust the fucking hippie and yeah. for that matter don't trust anyone don't trust anyone quit school 
don't work. Living out the living music. Living off the music, that's punk. That's if punk. I could do it, so could, could anyone. anyone. Drugs are good. Yeah. They let you they do things. Think they let you do things you know you not should. They let you do things that you know you're not should. And Drugs when, <laughs> are good. And when, and when you, you do, do them, people, people think, that, think you're that, cool. that you're cool. And when you do, you do them, people think, people that, you're think cool. that you're cool. Yeah. Join a punk band, shave your head, and get a tattoo. You don't need talent, just sing out a tune. Yeah. Self-destruction, no moral to throw it on me. For no particular reason, beat up everyone. Drugs are neat. And you can buy them relatively cheap. <laughs> and when you do them, people think you're cool. And when you do them, people think you're cool. Do you think that's an acceptable role model for the young people of this generation? Um, uh, no, I, I don't think it's a good role model uh, <laughs> for anyone. But I also think in the lyrics of it... Uh, you got to see they're quite clever because he in his set when he says drugs are good they make you do things that you know you're not should he's obviously got the, the grammar completely wrong and the sentence wrong and he's got his word order wrong which is something you do on drugs so on the face value it might seem like he's just written a stupid song if you go one if you look at, at it a little bit closer he's actually showing the beginnings of being quite a clever and witty writer okay um, yeah uh i mean it's a bad song to to to, sure. to try and give him a bit more um uh light as a good um witty uh writer i'll, yeah. I'll read the lyrics to i got a pee yeah 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 i got a pee that's actually <laughs> well you've got to say this is from the fuck the kids uh oh yeah ep i think yeah. which fat mike sat down and the whole the whole conceit of the album is that he gave himself 10 minutes to write each song right okay good uh, right. lyrics and music mm -hmm. and then in the and then he went into the studio and he gave he taught he gave himself no longer than 10 minutes to teach the rest of the band the song right and the the, the music and the lyrics so the lyrics of this are just i got a pee yeah over and over again i got a pee i got a pee eric melvin yeah. yeah no but at the end he says I got, I, got pee, I got a pee, I got a pee, I got a poo. Yeah. So, do you think putting those kind of restraints on an artist enhances the uh, the end product? Uh, like I limiting mean, you, your time restraints and making it as difficult as possible to produce something of good quality? You come out with I would, bollocks. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that... Um... It's a bad song. Have you listened to it or have you just looked at the lyrics? Uh, I admit I've not listened to it. Well, the, the, it's, it's actually quite good. Is it really? That, that, the whole album's Wait. quite good. And, and there's uh, I'm Telling Tim, which made it from the Fuck the Kids EP onto the So Long and Thanks for All the Shoes as a finished, finished song. It's quite a good song. But there's nothing wrong. But a part of the, part of the appeal of punk rock is that it's, it's, it's humour and um, the fact that it's music made by people without musical ability. So, on the whole, isn't it? I'm listening to it on Spotify right now. Gotta be, gotta be, gotta be, gotta be, gotta be, gotta be, gotta be. Yeah, it's good. Dink, 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 dink. 
I think they're just living the dream. That's all it is, isn't it's it? It's very minor threat, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, do you think it should be taken seriously or with a pinch of salt? What, I gotta pee? No, like the band itself, because they do seem to be um, quite political. Um, but then they've got like some songs like I've Got a Pee and stuff that are promoting drugs and stuff. It kind of. Well, I mean, I think, uh, I think the, I don't think they should be taken with a pinch of salt. I think they're, um, I mean, I think they're a good band and I really like them. And you don't get to where they are without working hard. It's not like they've just, you know, gone, we're a band and then become popular. They've absolutely grafted to get to where they are. And they've remained relevant to some people, you know, despite the fact that punk isn't fashionable anymore. They've got a hardcore devoted fan base and they still release new music. They're not just a... Uh, I read something with no, uh, Fat Mike the other day where he said they've been a band for like 30 years and he said the trick is to remain relevant. Like there are loads of punk bands that just um, tour and do their hits and don't release new music and they just become a nostalgia act. But they, Fat Mike and crew still make new music. I mean, they've released new records this year so they remain relevant. So I don't think they're to be taken with a pinch of salt. I mean, it's love them or hate them, isn't it? No one's like a casual, no effects fan, <laughs> really. Um, I mean, I think Fat Mike's promotion of drugs is probably not great, but he's writing the songs and it's about him and he's not the first rock star to uh, sing about drugs. I mean, Beatles were singing about LSD, weren't they, back in the day? So he's not the first person to do it. but. Uh, you know, he's moved on and talks about other things and become quite personal. Yeah, but in his writing in his later days, Paul McCartney promoted Meat Free Mondays, so <laughs> he... that's great, isn't it? Yeah, what's Mike got up his sleeve? Um, <laughs> on the on their last album, he he promoted. Um, Giving up drinking in a song called California Drought. Oh, that's good. Um, he took on Big Pharma in Oxymoronic, which I have to say is one of the worst songs I've ever heard. <laughs> but, um, uh, what, what other songs are on that album? Generation Z. He gets so quite into it. He sings about old friends that have died. Is that a cover of uh, Spice Girls' Generation X? <laughs> it's uh, it's unfortunately not, but it's uh, you know, the state of the world and it being bad. You'll yeah. I just think I think it's very good music, and there doesn't need to be any more of a defense than that. Really, they're a great band. Do you feel you need to defend it because you feel you've people feel that you should have outgrown it because pop punk is seen as quite. Um, a, a juvenile genre to be listening to? I think so. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, but I would say the people making them, 
in no effects case, the people making the music are nearly twice my age. <laughs> yeah. So if you're calling me juvenile, how how can I be juvenile when <laughs> when these men are fully grown adults in their, you know, 50s pushing 60? Yeah, but Mr. Tumble, he's an old man <laughs> and he he makes stuff for young people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he makes stuff for young people. I would wager that no effects are making stuff for fans that have been with them. Yeah. I find it strange. I find it strange that people... Are you saying I'm not going to grow old with Mr. Tumble? <laughs> but that's what I mean. <laughs> like, why, why people feel they have to stop listening to, uh, like, certain types of music. They go, oh, you can't listen to that band anymore because they're not cool or you're too, you're too old for it, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Whereas I'm like, well, if they're still releasing new music and it is good, yeah, I'll keep listening to it. Okay, that's fair enough. I think you've done a good case for that. I'm not sure I have. Yeah, you have. Don't worry. Let's move <laughs> on. Let's go for your second choice, and it is peanut butter and jam sandwiches. Yeah, emphasis on the jam. Yes, I we're saying jelly people. here. We're not saying jelly because no. jelly is just jam, isn't it? Well, yeah. I think it's just jam, and and yeah. anyway, I've we're we're what I get from the shop is jam. Yes, so I have <laughs> peanut butter and jam sandwiches. Yes, um, and that, this comes up quite a lot because uh, in the days when we were allowed to go to work before lockdown, at my job, they um, they provide breakfast for people. Yeah, uh, well, they provide toast. And bread and cereals and condiments. Okay, yeah. And we started having a continental jam. Um, spread. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we have peanut butter and jam sandwiches, and it's always a source of everyone kind of goes, uh, "What? Well, I can't eat that. I can't eat that. It's too sweet." Or you know, everyone has an opinion on on breakfast. But I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with the peanut butter and jam. Let's, let's let's go. Through. I think it's I think it's lovely. Let's go through your yeah your peanut butter and jam sandwich. So, what bread are we using? Um, well, I would use brown bread probably. It, it's, it depends if I've just made. I've obviously, like everyone else, like a lot of other people in in lockdown, I've got into making sourdough, and I have to say, right. I'm pretty pretty bloody good at it. A lot um, of people have done that. Yeah, a lot of people. Uh, that was the, the great flower shortage of uh, eight, April 2020. I think you've convinced yourself that that's the reason people yeah. bought flour, but I think it was more like because the kids were off and they were making right. cupcakes, <laughs> no. not sourdough bread. Yeah. Um, so I would either have like just a Hovis like granary or like a Seedibs. Right. batch. Yeah. And then I'd, if I'm doing toast, I would toast it, then I would put butter, then I would put. Now I've recently switched. This was something at work that happened. I think I was putting jam on, then the peanut butter, because mm. peanut butter, in my mind, makes the knife dirty. So it's easy mm -hmm. to put jam on and then kind of wipe the knife from the side of the bread mm -hmm. it, and then go into the peanut butter. Difficult, but then someone pointed out it's much easier to put peanut butter on and then spread the jam because peanut butter is 
Can you go closer to your mic, please, Ali? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I took one of I'm on headphones. You're kind of like uh, yeah. resting in, on your bed <laughs> in yeah. a daydream. Um, so uh, I've recently, I used to go butter. I always put butter on, and yeah. then I used to go jam, then peanut butter. Yeah. So that's, that's the wrong way around, because to trying to put peanut butter on jam, you just end up putting jam up one side, you know, right. you move it up. So I've swapped it around. I put butter, then peanut butter. I think yeah. that's crucial. A lot of people would say you can't put butter and peanut butter. I say there's different types of butter. And you need you need normal butter. So butter, peanut butter, then the best jam I can get, which is that uh, Bon. Do you know what I mean? Bon Marie or something? Oh yeah, Bon Mosh. Yeah, they do bon yogurts, yogurts as well. Yeah. They? Yeah, bon, bon maman, bon mamon, something like that. It's really like a top quality yeah. uh, peanut butter. So is the other piece of bread dry and then onto it, or do you do that exciting thing on the other piece of bread? I would uh, put butter on it and then on the top. So right. Not dry, but I'd, um, and I, but I wouldn't put, I don't put bread, I don't do butter peanut butter on one and then butter jam on the other and put them together. No. I like to put the jam on top of the peanut butter. Surely that would stop the whole spreading of jam onto peanut butter though. No, but I like the process. <laughs> I like the process because I like to, I can't guarantee, although that makes sense that you would align them and it would be nice. There's something nice about like combining and swirling it together a little bit. Right. Yeah. Okay. And it's just a delicious taste. What do you think? And I'm using I'm using 100% uh, peanut butter, if you know yes. what I mean. It's not it's not a sun pat or uh, Skippy. It's Meridian, 100% peanut butter, crunchy. It's a key as well. Crunchy. crunchy. Yeah. I find those Meridian ones quite coarse. Oh, I love them. <laughs> it's the best peanut best peanut butter I've had absolutely sold sold mm. on them and i get through them so quickly because oh, i want to spread it really thick it's, it's i mean i mean i'm spending so much money on, just on peanut butter um my because i am not a fan of the peanut butter and jam Why not? because here's my reasoning i love peanut butter yeah. i think it's great Mm. But adding jam to it doesn't enhance it. It's just taking away the flavour. It's just ruining peanut butter. It doesn't add to it. It just spoils see, it. I can see where you're coming from. But what you have to do is you have to... The, the peanut butter is too much of a um, large flavour that, that it doesn't... Uh, like intertwine with the jam, it the jam no, just <laughs> no, but it does though because you've got the clagginess and the heaviness of the peanut butter, and then through it comes this sweet burst, and it is like like a refreshing, uplifting note of strawberry jam, and it just combines to make this wonderful like sweetness. Oh, it's it's beautiful. What you've got to do, Darren, is you've got to realise 
that when you make a peanut butter and jam sandwich, you're no longer just in the world of peanut butter. You've got to stop thinking of peanut butter as part of the peanut butter and jam sandwich. You have to think of peanut butter and jam as a thing entirely on its own. Because peanut butter is such a strong flavour, you've got to add so much jam to taste any kind of jam, but then there's too much jam and it over I, <laughs> overpowers the peanut loveliness. I, I, I can admit that it is a, it's a delicate balance because once you, you, you we both agree on the fact you can't have too much peanut butter. Oh no, you can't. That's that's that's, that's silly. Fact. You you definitely one hundred percent can have too much jam. Yes. And once once you've crossed the threshold and you put too much jam on, it does become it's it's awful. It's, it's it's a horrible mess and it's really disappointing. So the balance is tricky, and um, getting the balance right. But you have to get just 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 shy of too much jam, and you're fine. Mm. It's a beautiful concoction, and it's nice to think because I it is quite sweet, it's quite rich, and it's nice to have something that rich in the morning. I think I really like it because you've got the protein and the peanuts, and protein's basically pure energy. Then you've got the sugar in the jam, and sugar's basically pure energy. You've also got a little bit of fruit. I always just found it growing up seeing a lot of Nickelodeon shows. And where the kids were always eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah. And so, because in this country we idolize um, American culture and TV, us kids would try and replicate that. And yeah. I, I just think no one really liked it, <laughs> but they just I, tried I, to pretend to. I think I remember because um, everyone, had, the first time you hear of it, is is you hear peanut butter and jelly? Yeah. So and you and you're like, what's peanut butter and jelly? And I remember, I think, like my getting my mum to make it for me when I was a kid, and she just used jam, and it confused me. And I was like, no, I want I want peanut butter and jelly. She was like, yeah, this is peanut butter and jelly, but the jelly's jam. And I was really disappointed. And I think maybe you're right. Maybe I didn't like it, but I love it now. It's, yeah. I, it's really nice, like a nice sweet treat. If it's Delicious. such, if it's such a good combination, yeah. why isn't it in the Tesco meal deal? I mean, but is it <laughs> by by saying it's not in the Tesco meal deal, you're kind of implying that they that it's a sandwich. No, they so don't. Right. Even, they don't they even. Just, they don't even make it. They don't even make yeah. it. Um, why do you think they don't? Well, make I it? can I can imagine that it wouldn't keep. <laughs> can you imagine, like, can you imagine opening a peanut butter and jam sandwich that's been on the shelf, even if it's been in the fridge? What an absolute mess that would be! <laughs> it would be absolutely horrible. You pick, you try and pick your sandwich up, and it would just fold in half. It'd be horrible. I mean, you'd have, they'd have to, and they wouldn't get the balance right, would they? There wouldn't be yeah. enough peanut butter, and the jam would be that like really horrible. Like really cheap. Oh, what the stuff you get in bed like, breakfast is. Yeah, yeah, with absolutely like zero. It's just got, it just, oh yeah, you know, thin and no fruit in it at all. Like it's just sugar, sugar water coloured pink. Yeah, it'll be an absolute horror show. Mm. It'll be, okay. it'll be, it'll be, yeah, 
It doesn't bear thinking about. That's the reason they're saving us. <laughs> they're saving us from the horror show. But you okay. can, of course, get peanut butter and jam ready-made in a jar, can't you? Well, oh, I've yeah. seen that before. Not, not interesting. <laughs> not interesting. <laughs> not interested. Part of the part of the joy of the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Oh, peanut butter and jam. Edit that out. Peanut butter and jam sandwich is the ceremony of putting it together. Okay. Right. Mm. Let's move on to the next one. Yeah. Um, it's Peter Kay's live at the Bolton Albert Hall show. Yeah. It's the DVD specifically. Yeah. That's the only version I've seen of it. Um, I often think because obviously I used to do comedy before we went into lockdown and before before I stopped I guess <laughs> kind of kind of I haven't done it for you know the best part of a year now anyway and when you know we do infringe and stuff and Laugh Out London asks you to do an interview or Broadway Baby asks you to do an interview I'm not, I'm not comparing Laugh Out London to Broadway Baby mm -hmm. that's, that's offensive to Laugh Out London Oh, no, and now I've just burnt all my bridges with Broadway Baby one star reviews from here on in <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be great for people that know what that means um, people often ask you like who are your favourite I've just remembered my videos on you're watching me scratch my foot, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> You've I'm laid glad. back down again and become quiet. Oh, sorry. Is my microphone on my ear? Oh, so, is it? Or you yeah. just become quiet? Uh, um, what am I talking about? Peter, so people often say, who are your favourite comedians? Yeah. Or, like, what shows do you like? And I have to say that... Um, my friend Alex, who was the friend in the No Effects anecdote at the beginning of this podcast, he got Peter Kay's DVD for Christmas in where well, we were still at school, I guess. So let's look up when it came out because he would have got that Christmas. Real, um, what he was like, yeah, let's we'll put this on. I haven't heard of Peter Kay. And we, me, Alex, and my brother watched it, and it was um, we so live at the Bolton Albert Hall, tenth of November two thousand and three. So I'm in sick. I'm in sick form. Yeah, going to war. So 15, sixteen or seventeen. Anyway, we absolutely pissed ourselves from start to finish. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen, and I haven't laughed that much our show you know it's rare that i've laughed that much and he gets a lot of stick because obviously i think he, he kind of did go off the boil a bit he got too big for his boots and started like stand-up wise started releasing shit and re-releasing his old stuff and kind of lowest common denominator but live at the bolton albert halls is a comedian absolutely at the top of his game it's absolutely hilarious but every time I've had to do an interview and they've people have said, what's your like, what's your favorite thing? Blah blah blah. I've always wanted to put Peter K live at the bottom now halls, but I've always been too scared because people I think will go, Oh no, he's got bad taste. But I think it's a perfect hour and a half of comedy. I mean, garlic bread 
it it goes better than garlic bread. The whole crime scene, crime watch, oh, yeah. uh, the whole crime watch bit, and then he does that thing where you think he's made a mistake, where he he goes in in the morning and he opens up and he goes, all, his... "All right, Julie," and she goes, "Oh, she's been in all night," and you're like, "No, that's real." Now I've done comedy. You're like, he does that every day. He makes that same mistake, and I'll shut up your sponge, and then. Uh, a whole bit about going in the fish and chip shop and putting the change away. Your ones, your twos, your threes, your fours, your... Yeah, 20 going in, 20 going in. It's so funny. It's so funny. It's brilliant. Yeah. So he's, I can... He's, um, got, def- he's got a really good way of delivering the um, the mundanities of life yeah. in a very relatable... But um, if, if you've got a normal person to talk about that, they'd come at a comedy cul-de-sac straight away and oh, yeah, yeah, but he, yeah. he managed to go further with it and um take yeah. it to a, a much uh funnier place i think yeah yeah it's brilliant although i'm not i mean i have tried to watch it uh like i don't know in the last two years or so i, tried, I found it on youtube and watched it and and it wasn't the same like, mm. obviously i've seen it before and uh Maybe your taste, oh dear, unlike their effects, maybe your tastes move on <laughs> and uh, your comedy tastes grow. But I just, it was, I we were crying with laughter. It was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so who are you watching before that? Uh... Well, I mean, 2003 so i was into comedy i was obviously big into harry hill harry hill's channel 4 show i thought was amazing like a little secret show that not everyone at school was watching but you just discovered or stay up late on channel 4 i think i was around about that time when you were still uh uh video shots were still a thing and i'd i'd go to the shop and rent like I think of DVD uh, Al Murray DVDs. I watched a lot of Lee Evans DVDs, mm. Bill Bailey DVDs, like all the big, like. And then, I, but I'd also be. Uh, I think we got Sky at that point, so I discovered Live at Jonglers. Oh yeah, Live at the Comedy Store, like when everyone else was out at the pub or going clubbing, <laughs> I'd come home and watch, watch live comedy late into the night that was me as well um yeah there was loved it um it was called the paramount comedy channel at that time yeah, that's right and that like yeah. uh, like um between seven o'clock and nine o'clock it would be like american sitcoms like spin yeah. city frasier seinfeld and then from like nine through the night there'd be like sh- sh- the sh- this will be the, the same 10 or 20 yeah, yeah, yeah. shows it will be dennis leary lock and load um richard pryor um yeah. lee evans um who's that guy that moved he's english but he moved to australia um uh, oh uh, green was it green um so oh, will 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 green has he got quite a pointy nose yeah yeah, I know who you oh, mean. Nor- Northern guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I used to really like him. And then obviously... Peter the... Green. No. I know who you mean. Yeah. Um, And there was also 
like um as you said live at jonglers and yeah uh all that stuff i remember i i loved because i watched that and i remember marcus birdman being on it yeah or Bert birdman and then i went to uh leicester square to a comedy night like my first live comedy night and he was there and I remember thinking, I remember being blown away, like starstruck, because I'd seen him on live at the comedy store. And I was like, whoa, this guy's a real comedian. And I think back now, and it was just like the foyer of a casino. And, and I think Marcus Birdman's great, but it was, it blew my mind that I was this close to live comedy. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I loved those shows. They were amazing. Yeah. It- I think, I think um, there seem to be quite a lot of um, stand-up comedy um, back then. It seemed to work better, but I don't know what's really changed about it. I think I think it's because they used a lot of circuit comedians more. Yeah. To uh, and nowadays, if we've got stand-up shows, it's more people that have been successful in Edinburgh or like yeah. younger did- comics. Yeah, they did do live at the Comedy Store, a new series again. They had, uh, I know Ramesh was on it and Rob Beckett and other, I didn't, I didn't watch it because I didn't have Sky. It was fairly recently, but again, it was, I guess they're club comedians, but like you say, I think they're all people that have more, more success than the club comics, maybe. Yeah. Um, Tom Ward was on it, actually. Oh yeah, oh, oh, I've yeah. seen some of those. Yeah, 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 yeah. which is quite exciting. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, they don't do. I mean, they, there's loads of stand up everywhere now. I guess mm. they do have. They got live at the Apollo, and then they have the stand up show. And have you seen that know, Jonathan Ross one? I watched. No, I haven't seen a Jonathan Ross one. I watched the BBC one. I watched the BBC one that was in Ireland or something. You know, they were going around the country doing it. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. I haven't seen the Jonathan Ross one, but I've seen some people on it and it's been quite... Um, not your norm, not the normal people, like a new, like a good mix of old yeah. and new faces. Yeah. Obviously, I'm incredibly bitter. <laughs> and obviously, obviously, the Harry Hill show was, was uh, that Harry Hill club night. was. Oh, great. yeah. That's was, a really good act. really it. good. Yeah. yeah, that was great to see. Yeah. Um, Again, incredibly bitter. <laughs> now, now, that felt a lot like uh, watching Late Night at the Comedy Store as a teenager, Harry Hill's Club Night. Oh, yeah. It had, yeah. That, same, it had that same vibe of like you're discovering something and it was like a little secret thing. And, you know, like mm. it felt it felt quite exciting because you, and then you, because you know you're seeing obviously. Spencer and Lucy and Joe Jacobs and stuff. You're like, oh no, these are like people that are uh, Paul F. Taylor, whoever else. They're like, oh no, these are cool people that are like getting a break here. I know Spencer's yeah. already had a break, but seeing Lucy Pierman on the TV dresses a bunch of breaks was pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um. Right, what was it? I've lost my train of thought. Really, I think 
I think we've just we were just having a chat about comedy then, weren't we? Yeah, we're not yeah. De- deviating from the thing. <laughs> Let's just go on to the next one. What? Oh God, we've got Movember. Movember. Yeah. So explain what Movember is. Well, I guess I'm slightly biased because I've worked at Movember over the years. Uh, Movember is a, a charity where they get men and people that can grow moustaches to grow moustaches for the 30 days of the month formerly known as November. Yes. Uh, started in 2003 by two Australian friends. And then obviously it's become a massive thing since then and in loads of countries. And I think to date they've raised, they always, it's an Australian company, so they've raised over 1 billion Australian dollars mm-hmm. in 17 years, but that translates uh, to about, it's over... 600 million pounds raised okay. for men's health and it's now it's uh mental health male mental health and suicide prevention prostate and testicular cancer so, okay so it's just, um, so, so what, what does the money directly go to uh it used to uh, it goes to me- mental initiative initiatives to help people with their mental health that could be support Support groups, because uh, I think they find that a lot of men, uh, men are four times more likely to like uh, kill themselves than men and uh, than women. So I know they find men aren't very good at talking about their feelings. So they have like support groups um, where men can meet and chat. And, uh, they also have a thing called Movember Conversations, which is like a platform where people can or an app they can go on their phone and just someone to talk to but also they've re, they've funded a lot of research into testicular cancer and prostate cancer but one of their things is a lot of research is done by different labs and they don't necessarily talk to each other so there's a there's a two labs could be working on the same thing and both realize that it doesn't go anywhere but they there's a thing called the Global Action Plan where they get all scientists from around the world to pool their knowledge and share their findings so they're not all working on the same thing. And they can, you know, if everyone knows what everyone else is doing, they can come up with solutions quicker. Okay. So what is um, Movember? What is their target? What is their target every day? What What... What do they, what do they set out to do each day? Is, uh, what? Well, each day, I guess in the old, in the back in the day, they wouldn't have a day to day because their day to day would be organising uh, events that would take place during November, and you might say, well, all they have to do is get people to grow moustaches. What what is there to this campaign? But obviously, each country has its own partners. This year there's KP Nuts, there's Pringles, there's the gym group, you know, which takes time. You can't, you don't just go to Pringles and say, hey, can you support Movember? They're a brand, they're a company, there's talks. How much money are they going to give? What are they going to do? What's the thing? This year, Mr. Pringles has shaved off his moustache, which is a conversation that's taken, you know, he shaves his moustache off once that happened it's already happened it happened last week or the week before but that's a conversation that's been going on for years with pringles 
trying yeah. to convince them. Um, and obviously, you have to look after the, uh, you have to find all the fundraisers, set up the events. Obviously, this year there aren't any events because we're all in lockdown. But there's a lot of admin to be done. <laughs> so it's it's all just um trying to redirect everyone towards Movember and um uh, trying to basically get people to understand um what well, they're, they're main, trying to do. Their, yeah, their main goal is to just get people talking. Yeah. The point is that I mean everyone grows a moustache now. Uh, I guess they're more prevalent than they were. But if someone starts growing a moustache who doesn't normally grow a moustache, right. people are going to say, what? "What? what's that about? Why are you growing a moustache? And they go, oh, it's for November. And they go, what's November? And then they talk about mm. the things they do. It's for this. It's for charity. It's for men's health. And then like this, they go, well, how does that help? And they go, well, you sponsor me to grow a moustache for 30 days. And that goes to November, and then that goes towards funding research into prostate cancer, testicular cancer, and helping lending support to in the area of male mental health and suicide prevention. So, you know, they've always said, and I do believe it, it sounds trite, but they've always said that they were about always about growing moustaches and that spreading the word and getting people talking, and no about any money they raised was just a bonus. Um, and I do believe that's true. I do believe they're doing great things and people can kind of look at it and go, how does a moustache raise money? What's the point of it? You know, why do we need charity anyway? But the fact is that they've been less quite about innovative. charity and more about getting people talking about it. I think so, yeah. <laughs> but not talking about Movember necessarily. No, but talking Mo about um, making men talk about their... Feelings. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think they're, mm. they're quite innovative in the fact that a lot of the time when someone does a charity thing, they'll go, for example, I'm going to run the marathon. Can you sponsor me? And it's a lot of people running the marathon and each of them trying to get uh, people to sponsor them. Whereas Movember was one of the first charities to be like peer to peer. So if I grow a moustache and my friends grow a moustache, they spot you sponsor each other, and then it becomes a community. And obviously, it's completely done online. Really, mm -hmm. you set up, you set up, you register your space, and you do it all online. And everyone has a place, and you go to the website, and then everyone donates to everyone else, and you can do teams and stuff. So, and also the whole the fact it's a whole month. November's like the first one of the first charity, well, if not the first charity to do that and say like, we'll just, we'll make a load of noise in November and then for the rest of the year, we'll, we'll, we'll go quiet. See, that's changing now as the company's, you know, the company, the charity is, um, you know, nearly 20 years old and they've raised all this money. It, it stops being just about moustaches and they have to, you know, they're growing up and they have to, you know, let people know where the money's going and, uh, start acting a bit a bit differently so they're into the next phase where they're starting to really fund things and projects they've funded that they began to fund like 10 years ago are starting to have results and people being helped and stuff this is becoming like a bit of a, a corporate, corporate 
corporate selling for November. <laughs> but uh, the point is, I think people think it's just like a a silly hipster charity that doesn't really do anything. But there's like a really, really serious heart to it, and yeah. it does it does change lives. Yeah, because um, I think it, it, it gets tarred with that brush because um, one of the traits of hipsters is to have a silly moustache and so it kind of gets lost in that um thing of oh you you've got a silly moustache you're trying to it's just a a, a little gimmicky thing that, yeah that you're trying to do um but um i i guess being the more um uh the most extravagant and uh weird would be the whole point of it so you get people talking about it yeah <clears throat> yeah and i also think it's uh sorry when they started uh, moustaches i don't they weren't cool so it was more of a like oh wow that's weird this guy's growing a moustache <laughs> whereas obviously trends happen and then the moustache became popular and everyone was like, oh, you're just growing a moustache because you're you're a hipster. And then it became like, mm. you can't really get away from that. Mm. And then either, uh, and then obviously now moustaches are a bit more normal, perhaps, but that might just be because I work for November and, I, and uh, when I first worked for them in 2011, I didn't know I could grow a moustache and I've had a moustache more or less ever since, which isn't something I thought I'd ever do. <laughs> uh, but that's me now. I have a moustache, so you know, which well, the, gets less and less reactions. Uh, now. Yeah. I think before people would be like, "What the? What the? This guy's got a moustache." But even when I meet new people, it's maybe it's just because I'm old now. I mean, man, I'm like, I'm 34 and I have a moustache. Yeah. I'm that. I'm that guy. It's not going anywhere, is it? <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> I look back on pictures and they just be like, oh yeah, the dude has a moustache. Okay. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I like it too. Yeah. Okay, let's go on to your last choice. And that's non-alcoholic beer. You've got... Yeah. So uh, well, pe I... People would obviously say, what's the point of non-alcoholic yeah. beer? You've dropped off. Yeah, you. it's all right now. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. People would say, what's the point of an alcoholic beer? Uh, and I probably would have said that two or three years ago. But as a man that's uh, given up drinking, I actually quite like non-alcoholic beer. And it's tasty now. I think before it would have just been Bex and Heineken. And both of them taste... Uh, they're just not great. They're too sweet and they're rubbish. Whereas, um, whereas, sorry, I've just got to turn my camera off because Beth is, uh, there, there's Beth. <laughs> uh, whereas beers are, beers are, non-alcoholic beers are very tasty and they, um, it might sound silly, but when, when you're at a party or a work event or in a pub, uh, I don't know if you've found this because I know you don't drink, but sometimes you do feel a bit left out not having it, you know, or exposed that you don't have, that you're not drinking 
whatever and but having a non-alcoholic beer as an option it does make things a little bit easier um and some of them are just really tasty so i get to what i enjoyed about drinking sometimes is trying odd drinks and different beers and now i get to try weird non-alcoholic beers and guinness have just released non-alcoholic guinness which is the best news i've ever had because i really really want a guinness and now i'm Beth keeps driving me around different supermarkets to try and find uh, non-alcoholic Guinness and it's all sold out. And all the reviews say it tastes exactly the same. So uh, I just want, I just, yeah, it's a good sign. And I think people poo-poo them without really thinking. You can just have a, it's nice to have a beer. It's, it's something that should be um, celebrated because obviously alcohol is not very good for you and it, yeah, um, the alcoholic side of it does come with a lot of negatives. Um, but I think we've grown up in a society where people see see you as a bit of a killjoy if you're not. Um, yeah, you're not joining in on uh, the merriment of becoming drunk and. Well, uh, yeah, I I did I worked I did uh, I was. Like a two years ago, I was working in a, in an art gallery um, just for my friend, uh, just doing some extra work on the oh, side. Oh, you, you worked for Picasso? <laughs> I worked for Picasso. Yeah. Uh, and someone said to me, I was on the bar giving out free drinks. You've gone quiet. You've gone quiet. Leaning back and then said, <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't drink. And they just went, oh, what do you do for fun then? <laughs> like, they're so that was in the early days of not drinking. And I kind of went, oh, yeah, yeah. But, but I felt really like I felt silly, you know, as if like I felt boring. It was really odd. It was really strange. <laughs> that is how people, that is how people think. I remember talking to someone once, um, and they found out that I uh, I don't drink, and she said, "Oh God, I don't think I'd have the confidence to have sex if I couldn't drink." Yeah, yeah, it's mad. Yeah, <laughs> but I think I used to be a bit like that. It used to give me false confidence, yeah. and uh, I used to do silly things, and then like think I've become really good friends with someone, and then wake up in the morning and be like, like I don't remember anything, and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, do you, oh hey Ali." You still up for doing that? I'm like, who are you? I don't know. It was really weird. Very strange. I'm not against drinking, obviously. Mm. If people, if it doesn't affect everyone the same, and mm. it's it is good fun. Yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't good for me. I'm not like ban alcohol, but I am like don't have a go at non-alcoholic beers. Yeah, I'm still cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, some of I did go through a weird thing because beer actually doesn't taste that nice, really. Uh, I'm glad someone finally said it. <laughs> it's a weird, it's a, it's a very strange, it's not that nice, is it? But, the ones that do taste nice taste just less nice than what they're trying to taste like that's yeah, not yeah. alcoholic. So, yeah. like, if it's trying to taste like, I don't know, raspberries or something, it's saying, but a raspberry cordial would taste better than this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. But there are some nice beers out there. Mm. So, and they're getting better all the time. Yeah. 
that's good um let's go on to the last thing we are talking about and it's that's you, isn't it? it's my choice that you've picked for me and you've yeah. told me to defend what you think is indefensible and that is people leaving cereal in Leave? the box in the box yeah. but not enough cereal to make a full bowl yeah, so just absolutely. The crustulations. Leaving, yeah, just leaving a tiny bit of the dregs of a cereal bowl. So when you yeah. when you wake up and go, oh yeah, I really fancy some cocoa pops, and then you pour them out and you've got like a teaspoon full of cocoa pops. But someone's put the box back in the cupboard as if it were full, and they've enjoyed a massive bowl of cocoa pops. Why do you think they've done that? The dregs, uh, because they're they're um, heartless, unthinking, unkind. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say monster, but they're monsters. But thoughtless. They could. Why didn't they just put the rest of the dregs in their bowl? Why did they leave it in? Because they didn't want to be the one that finished the cocoa. Right. They didn't want to be the ones that finished the cocoa pops. They're too scared. They're cowards. They're embarrassed, aren't they? Yeah. They're embarrassed. <laughs> Would you? So you've want... got to defend this. <laughs> So would you prefer them to just finish it off and say, like, I finished it off? Yeah, absolutely. Because I'd say the rage I feel <laughs> of of pouring, of going, here we go, and then pouring yeah. in a teaspoonful of Cocoa Pops into a bowl is more than the disappointment I would feel when I open the cupboard and see there's no Cocoa Pops. At least then I'd go, ah, oh, there's no Cocoa Pops, but I've but by putting the box back, you've gone, oh, yeah, here we go. This is <laughs> going to be a good morning. I've just had my peanut butter and jam sandwich. Now it's time for <laughs> breakfast too. Time for a lovely bowl of Cocoa Pops. Regarding, oh, no. <laughs> regarding cereal, what is yeah. an acceptable amount to leave left? Would you say you need a whole bowl full left? Uh, ideally, a whole bowl. But I'd say maybe at a push, I guess, half a bowl. To three quarters. Half a bowl to three. Maybe that's a, like that's a third of a bowl, isn't it? Really. What if they left a quarter of a bowl, mm. and their reasoning was that next time you buy the cocoa pops, you can use that quarter to top off <laughs> the next box. That's. So that's they didn't really... want to. They'd already pulled out a full bowl in their bowl and there was a quarter yeah. left. They're like, I'm not going to throw this away because I can just use that to top off the new box. Why? Well, you mean because they've got a full bowl? Um, yeah. The, there's no, they filled up their bowl as much as they can. Yeah. And therefore there's a, there's a little bit left. Yeah. So it has to go back in the cupboard. Where else is it going to go? Yeah. You're not going to throw it away, are you? Well, in, in that case, I think there should be a system whereby they have they buy two bo boxes of cocoa there pops at a time and overlapping. Yeah, there should be there should be an overlap <laughs> system. So they go, oh, there's only a quarter left. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put either there's, there's enough space for two cocoa pops in the right cocoa boxes in the cupboard, or they leave the quarter the quarter bowl box right. of Cocoa Pops on the side and then replenish the Cocoa Pops in the cupboard. So when you wake up, the next yeah. person goes, ah, oh, 
this cocoa pot box on the side. Right. So you know what's coming up. When you look in the cocoa pops and there's yeah. really a bowl and a quarter left, you say no, no one's to touch the cocoa pops <laughs> until yeah, yeah. there is a new one next to the old one. Yeah, and, it, and in it's that safe. case, yeah, and in that case, there needs to be a special place where you put the cocoa pop box, maybe on top of the fridge, for example. So someone comes down and goes, right, okay, they've clocked it. I'm not having cocoa pops today because second box needs to be purchased. I'm going to have a grapefruit. <laughs> yeah. So you, I noticed you said cocoa pops. Is that your cereal yeah. of choice? Uh, cocoa pops is up there. I love cinnamon Grahams. Would would I love cinnamon Grahams? Um, Are golden you nuggets. Do, uh, I haven't had them for years. What golden nuggets? Oh, yeah. Old gold miner on the front. Yeah, yeah. But cinnamon Grahams, I'd say, and I also like, um, you know, those Crave cereals, the little oh, uh, yeah. pouches with the chocolate in the middle. I absolutely love them. I hardly ever have them, but they're delicious. See, I grew up in a house that we, we never really had cereals. And so it's like a really? whole new experience. <laughs> it's a, an alien <laughs> experience for me, really. Um, what I, did you have? Uh, I, as a child, I don't really remember having a lot of breakfast. Like mm. going to school, I, I think I just had toast a lot of the time. But yeah, I used to gr uh, grow up with my uh, grandparents, and I remember, like, I don't know if this is because this is all I had regards to a cereal, but I still really love it, and it's all bran. And I know it's oh. an all person cereal, but I that think it's really, weird. It tastes really great. I think all bran tastes nice. Is that the little twigs? The twigs, yeah. That's weird. That is that is <laughs> when you you say you grew up with your grandparents. That <laughs> absolutely makes me think of my grandma and grandpa. hundred <laughs> percent. In fact, I'm pretty sure that is what I would have. They would get cocoa pops in for when me and my brother went over to stay with them. Yeah. But on many occasions, I've been I've sat in their kitchen and eaten all brand. God. You're right. It's got a weird. It's a very odd thing isn't it it's not sweet or anything it's just yeah but it's quite satisfying it is quite satisfying yeah yeah you're right i don't think like people like to admit to liking it no because it makes you poo well it wouldn't be my first choice <laughs> i could have listed a hundred series yeah. and i would never i would never have got to all brand no. you've gone straight in at, straight in at the top Straight not, at number one. I, I seriously haven't had that many cereals in my yeah. lifetime. Wow. But it's probably a bit too late now, isn't it? What? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole aisle of just not been down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to buy some all brand tomorrow. I, I put sultanas in mine as well. I hate sultanas. Really? I hate sultanas so much. Um, I, li I like raisins. <laughs> I cannot stand sultanas. Um, oh, what's the difference? Uh, I, there is a big difference. Is there? I would say raisins are more shriveled. <laughs> like a, like a, they're not as juicy as a sultana. 
and they've got more of a like a intense flavor whereas a sultana i find juicy and quite bland i just i cannot stand sultanas they're disgusting you just don't like them because they're more juicy yeah i don't i like raisins like a yeah sultanas are horrible i hate the flat i hate the feeling of them in my mouth the color of them is you know that horrible yellowy browny color the raisin, you know where you are, it's a nice dark. I think you, should, you should have chosen sultanas, is the thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God. A sultan, you used sultanas in Christmas pudding, didn't you? I hate Christmas pudding. Yeah, no one likes it. <laughs> I hate Christmas cake. <laughs> and sultanas, you're putting. I know breakfast is like. You've said all bran is not sweet, not savoury, uh, but sultanas often crop up in things like coronation chicken and in like savoury things, and they don't deserve to be there. It's, it's criminal. Get out! It's disgusting. <laughs> so much. Um, <laughs> George Norris was that, on this podcast. Yeah, one of the things he was defending was putting raisins. In tuna mayo. That's disgusting. <laughs> but he's a, he's an advocate of it. No, that's that's absolutely disgusting. Well, you should go back and listen to the podcast and see what he has to I say. I will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for this, Ali. I think we should stop now because we've gone for quite okay. a while. Yeah. Um, is there anything you want to? Plug apart from Movember. Um, when's this going to come out? Uh, probably Friday. All right, cool. Well, then, in fact, in that case, I will just plug Movember. Uh, <laughs> go to Movember, and uh, I'll give. I'll put give you my uh, Mo space, and you can donate to me, or your <laughs> if you put it in the description, just donate to me and donate to Movember. And also, I'd like to promote uh, Christmas. Christmas is coming up. I don't want anyone to forget. <laughs> That's it. Okay. Uh, is there anything else? I'm. I'm not doing. I'm doing the Leicester Comedy Festival in February 2020, okay. cool. 2021. So come to that with a show called "I Tried to Be Funny, But You Weren't Looking." Okay. And also. Right. Um, just no effects is discography okay. from 1991 <laughs> to the present day. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Cheers, Darren. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, let's hear it. Defenders of the universe, it's Darren Maskell and a guest. Defenders of the universe, who knows what they're going to defend next. That's 12 seconds.